0: Hey, my name. Okay. Hi, my name is Becca Giles, and the Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 115, 1-8 from the message. Not for our sake, God, no, not for our sake, but for your name's sake, show your glory. Do it on account of your merciful love. Do it on account of your faithful ways. Do it so none of the nations can say, where now? Oh, where is their God? Our God is in heaven doing whatever he wants to do. Their gods are metal and wood, handmade in a basement shop, carved mouths that can't talk, painted eyes that can't see, tin ears that can't hear, molded noses that can't smell, hands that can't grasp, feet that can't walk or run, throats that never utter a sound. Those who make them have become just like them, have become just like the gods they trust. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Shelby. The New Testament reading found in 1 John five thirteen through 17 I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son so that you can know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in our relationship with God. If we ask for anything in agreement with His will, He listens to us. If we know that He listens to whatever we ask, we know that we have received what we asked from Him. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin that does not result in death, they should pray, and God will give life to them. That is, to those who commit sins that don't result in death. There is a sin that results in death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Every unrighteous action is sin, but there is a sin that does not result in death. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Bobby. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John fourteen twelve through fourteen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The gospel of the Lord.
1: Speak, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Well, we are in week seven of our series on 1 John, and the series has been called Beloved because John described himself as the Beloved Disciple. Church tradition is it's the same John who wrote the Gospel according to John that's written this letter, 1 John, and so he refers to himself as the Beloved Disciple, but then in his letter he addresses us as Christians as the dearly beloved, and so we've called this series Beloved, and by the way, we didn't build this set on the stage to make you feel right at home, it's just a school play, so, you know, that's the nature of meeting at school, but here we are in 1 John, and just just by way of recap uh, through the weeks here, on the first week, we opened with saying, okay, so John gets through his prologue, he gets through his introduction, and his first big announcement is that God is light, but not... This exposing, shaming light, but a saving light. And we said, you know, at first it kind of sounds a little bit scary to say God is light because we get the feeling that, oh no, maybe we've been found out. But actually it's a bit more like a parent who goes in the room when a child is having a nightmare and turns on the light and says, hey, hey, hang on, it's mom, it's dad, you're home, the monsters are gone. And that's what it's like when Jesus, the light of the world, says, come into the light. And we come in with all of our sin and our fear and our struggle and our brokenness. He doesn't shame us. He saves us. And John wants us to know that. And then from there, in chapter 2, we turned our attention to what John begins to say are his two great commandments. Uh, really, there, it's one great commandment, and he has two sides of it. And his first is kind of this prohibitive side. He says, do not love the world. But he's not saying this as, this as sort of the grounds for a culture war where we say, okay, yeah, i got to take a stand against the world. No, he's saying it as in, don't set your affections on these things. The gods that are in this world, the gods of money, sex, and power, these things are empty in the end. Don't set your affections on them. And then we said, okay, as we begin to turn in week three, We said, okay, before we turn to his affirmative command of loving one another, we needed to stop and ask ourselves, who are we? Who are we as we wrestle through this not loving the world and yes, loving each other? Who are we? And John says, listen, behold the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And John says, listen, listen, your identity is set. You are children of God. You have God's DNA in you. That's literally the word he uses, his seed, God's seed in you. And then he says, and let me tell you what's coming in the future. One day you're going to see Jesus, and when you see him, you'll be like him. What John's given for us is two fixed points, the point of our identity and the point of our hope. And then he says, in the in-between, it's just practice. So stop practicing sin and start practicing righteousness because this is now who you are and the freedom that comes from knowing that. And then in week four, John wants us to know not just who we are, but where we are. Because as we begin to love one another, the question is, I don't know if I can really love a person unreservedly because there's this self-preservation instinct in all of us that says, well, I'll love you unless it's in danger to my own comfort. Oh, my own life. And John says, listen, let me tell you where you are. You've switched time zones. You've moved from death to life. And so while the whole world lives like it's midnight, surrounded by this threat of, of death and this, this self-motivated thing, we can say, hey, 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 a new day has dawned. We're living like life overcomes death. And so we can love one another without fear And then in week five, we said, well, what what is the expression of love? And we said, the most radical expression of love is forgiveness. But forgiveness isn't something that we just kind of work on and say, I got to work on my forgiveness issues. No, the same hinge, the same door that allows forgiveness in is the same door that allows forgiveness out. And so we said, look, if we're looking to learn to forgive one another, the place that we begin is the cross. And to say, thank you, God, for being the the atonement for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for letting your blood be enough for us. And when you take that in, it begins to flow out of you. And then last week, Pastor Joey spoke to us about how there is no fear in love. That we no longer work with this paradigm of fear. You see, if you fear the thing you do not know, and if we're convinced that we don't really know what God is like, then we'll live in this fear. And he says, no, 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 look, look, look. We do know what God looks like. It looks like this. It looks like what he's done in Christ. And so there's no more fear now in love. We're free to love him and to love one another with a confidence. And so here we are in week seven, and we're wrapping it up. And we want to know, how do you tie this all together? How do you bring it together? What is John going to crescendo with? What is the season finale? John says it's prayer. Well, that's a bit anticlimactic. Prayer. And instantly when I say the word prayer, I know, some of you are like, oh, prayer. And, And the first thing that comes to your mind is guilt. Like, well, I don't really pray enough. I mean, I mean, is prayer a spiritual gift? Because if it is, I don't got it. You know, It's not, by the way. And so then even more guilt. Right? Oh, I just don't pray enough. I wish I prayed more. You know, Other people pray, but that's just not me. Or if it's not guilt, maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe it's like, well, I, I would like to pray, but I don't really know how to pray. And someone said, pray what's in your heart, but I don't know what's in my heart, so I just don't pray. Is that bad? But maybe what hits closer to home is Not guilt or embarrassment, but the feeling of being unloved. That actually prayer is the one place where you feel least like the beloved. Prayer is the one place where you feel least loved. Why? Because when you think about prayer, you think about all the unanswered ones. You think about all those prayers, you say, well, thanks God for helping me find my keys this morning, but what about this thing I've been praying for? And so to say that John wraps up his letter on being the beloved with prayer can feel a bit disappointing, I understand, because you're feeling like, well, how, how, do, how do I talk about prayer? How do I think about prayer? So this morning we're calling this, and so we pray. Turn with me if you would, if you have a physical Bible, you can flip toward kind of near the end, 1 John's a short little letter, if you've got a digital Bible, you can just plug it in, 1 John chapter 5 is where we'll start, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son so that you can know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in our relationship with God. If we ask for anything in agreement with his will, he listens to us. And if we know that he listens to us, whatever we ask, we know that we have received when, we, when, when what we asked from him. The first thing we want to say about prayer this morning is John is saying, pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. Pray with confidence because you know you can have, you have confidence in your relationship with God, that you've been born of God, that you're a child of God. Pray with confidence. We have four kids. So speaking of prayer, you can pray for us. Um, And their ages are nine, seven, five, and two. And our older two, our older two girls, you know, they're at the age where if they get up in the morning and we're not quite, or we're attending to something else, we're not quite ready to help, they can, you know, they can fend for themselves, they can make some toast, or sometimes attempt eggs, that gets a little messier, but they can't. But our boy, he's five, and he's, you know, he's a growing boy, so he wakes up hungry, you know, he's hungry all the time, just wants to eat. And so he'll say, Dad, can you get me breakfast? Or Mom, can you get me breakfast? And, and... You know, the answer sometimes is, hang on a minute, or yes, or, you know, but there's not even a sliver of a second where he thinks in his mind, I'm going to ask for breakfast, and they're going to say, how dare you? That doesn't even enter his mind. There's not even a, a, a concept of, will you get me breakfast? No, I know, how dare I ask? I'm so sorry. That's, that's not in his, his head because he's been in a nurturing home, most of the time anyway, and, um, and he knows that if he asks for this, we're going to do our best to get him what he's asking for. Now, it may not be bacon and eggs. It might be, dude, can you grab a banana? You know, like, I'll be down in a minute. Just grab a banana. Oh, there's a granola bar somewhere. Yes, that's leftover one. Go ahead. Grab that one. Right. It might be that, but he's not going to be scolded for asking. He's not going to hear, how dare you? He's not, going to, he's not going to hear, you have no right. There's a confidence that children in loving homes have. A confidence that says, I, I'm a child of God. I, I, I can ask for this. Calvin, John Calvin, the reformer, wrote some interesting things about prayer and the kind of confidence we can have in how God hears us. And I want you to look at two quotes. God, Calvin says, even when he does not comply with our wishes, is still attentive and kindly, Old English, to our prayers, so that hope relying upon his word, the hope that is based on his word, will never disappoint us. And in a few paragraphs down, he says, even if God grants our prayer, he does not always respond to the exact form of our request, may not be bacon and eggs, but it will be breakfast. But seeming to hold us in suspense, he yet in a marvelous manner shows us our prayers have not been vain. Though he seems to hold us in suspense, he may not respond to the exact form of the request, but God knows what's at the heart of what we're asking for. Timothy Keller, a pastor in in New York City, uh, he says it this way, maybe a simpler sentence for you to, to think about. God will either give us what we ask or... Will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he does. I like that. Either, either the actual thing that you're asking or what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. What, is that, what are we trying to say here? Well, here's what we're trying to say. You don't have to think about God like he's some sort of erratic, capricious, pagan God that one day is angry and one day is happy, one day is generous and the other day abusive. No, no. John's saying there's a character about God. There's a consistency about God. There's a goodness about God. And your confidence is rooted in him. Your confidence is not rooted in outcomes. Your confidence is rooted in the character and nature of God. Of God. Uh, back when I was in college, we, we had a few uh, crazy guest speakers that came to our chapel. They don't really have these types of people anymore, but there was a guy who came who was from the name it and claim it kind of background, and, and, and he had the whole, by the end of his talk, which was just an outrageous talk anyway, and, and I was on staff at the time at the school, so I was seated on stage. You know, it was one of those settings where important people sat on the stage, which I didn't really want to be on the stage, especially when he had the whole student body and faculty stand up and reach up to heaven and grab an imaginary lever and say, money cometh to me now. So here I am st- sitting on the stage thinking, well, I'm not standing and I am not saying that and I'm not put- pulling any lever from heaven down that says money cometh to me now. Now listen, that's not what John's talking about when he says you can have the confidence that you've received what you've already asked, what you- you've already received what you've asked for. But you- you'll hear TV preachers skew it this way. Well, I've already received it. So now I claim it. You've already got it. Just give me a little bit more money and then you'll receive it some more. Mm, Mmm, (laughs) now. That's not what John's talking about. John's saying your confidence is not in your claiming. Your confidence is not in your faith. Your confidence is not in the outcome. Your confidence is in a loving Father who is always, always good. And even Calvin says, even when He doesn't respond to the specific form of our request, we can know that He hears us. So we keep asking, we keep coming, because we're not going to hear a God that says, "Get out of here." And I was, I've been watching a series, and The West Wing. You know, is on Netflix. Anybody fans of The West Wing? There's um, there's an episode in the third season where they they, um, they bring in some actual former White House employees and former presidents and have them talk about the show and all that. And so on this one episode, President Jimmy Carter is talking about what it's like to have people come into the Oval Office with a, a request, and he says you won't believe it. Is these people who are so articulate, well spoken. I mean, just leaders in their area, and they come into the Oval Office and they get cotton mouth and, and fumbly, and they're just like, you know, something happens when they stand in the Oval Office, they can't speak anymore, you know? And he talks about how he's had to learn to draw it out of them. Yes, you know, what are you here for, you know? And I think here we are walking into the throne room of God. Not like nervous diplomats trying to say it just right, but confident kids say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Pray with confidence. John has more to say about prayer. Verse 16. If anyone sees a brother or a sister committing a sin that does not result in death, they should pray. And God will give life to them. That is to those who commit sins that don't result in death. We got you, John. Because there is a sin that results in death. Yeah, I gathered that. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Okay. Every unrighteous action is sin, but there is a sin that does not result in death. What is this sin? Now, this is a a bit of a rabbit trail, because it's not exactly about the sermon or prayer, but since we're reading these verses, I know, some of you, the way your brain works, you're like, oh, have I done the sin that's resulted in death? How will I know? Here's tip number one. If you're worried about it, you have not done the sin that leads into death, okay? (laughs) And here's how I know. Here's how I know. St. Augustine, in the late 4th century wrote a series of sermons on 1st John and one of the things he does beautifully is use 1st John to interpret 1st John what a concept right and so he he says look John has this thing where he says look if you're born of God you will love and if you don't love you haven't been born of God and if you have life you have love and if you don't love you really don't have life and so Augustine says you know, you know what the, the, the one sin That John's telling us we actually don't do anymore when we've been born of God is that we we don't not love in other words when you're born of God you do love and therefore the sin that leads to death is the sin that has poisoned the root of love the root of God's love working in your life the agape the the root of that later on Aquinas, another church father in the medieval days, would would write about venial sins and mortal sins. Anybody heard this? Anybody raised, you know, maybe in a Catholic environment, right? And and maybe all you knew about mortal sins was like, that's the biggie. That's the one you don't do, right? Like party as much as you want, but man, just don't do that. The other ones, just do them and then come to confession and you're fine, right? That's how maybe you understood it. That's not the idea. The idea that, that these, these church fathers had for the sins that don't lead to death and the sins that do is what has poisoned the root of love and what hasn't. So let's say you sin against a brother and you, you, you've wronged them. Later on you might say, you know what, that was terrible. That, ah. And that root of love is telling you that you've done something wrong. You're like, I, I gotta go make that right. I gotta go repent. I gotta. That's a sin that does, has not led to death. But when that root is poisoned, when you said, nah, I don't, I don't, there is there's zero love anymore towards them, towards God, towards anyone, it's all gone. All I have is this darkness and hatred. That's a sign that things have become closed. But Augustine says, I'm not sure that anybody really gets there and I'm not sure we really know until they actually die. In other words... While you live, and while there is a little bit of God's grace there, there is hope. So pray for one another. Pray when you see someone caught in sin because it's not over yet. It's not over yet. It hasn't poisoned the root. It hasn't set them on a course of no return. See, prayer, John wants us to know, pray with compassion Pray with compassion because prayer is not supposed to be this private spiritual exercise, you know? Prayer is not like the spiritual equivalent of going to the gym. You know, it's like you go to the gym, like, hey, do you go to the gym? Yeah, I go to the gym. I mean, I'm up to like two hours a day now. I mean, do you work out? I work out. Obviously, I do. <laughs> and then you have the, the prayer equivalent, like, you know, when I started praying, I only could manage 30 minutes a day. I'm up to three hours now. Praise the Lord, brother. All glory to God. Like, are you just, did you just flex? Are you flexing to me right now, your prayer muscles? And John's like, that, that is not what prayer is about. It's not about getting spiritual muscles. Prayer is about turning your heart outward. Pray with compassion. When John, John transitions seamlessly from talking about prayer to saying whom we should pray for, pray for your brothers and sisters. Sometimes I'll talk with someone who says, I don't know what to pray and say, you know what? You're in good company. None of us really do. Prayer is a language we have to learn. So here's a way you could start. Start praying the psalms. And that really is a wonderful place to start. Pray a psalm a day or one in the morning, one in the evening. Just pray it out loud. And sometimes people will say to me, well, I started doing that and I really loved it because it related to my life. And then I got to some of these dark psalms about people being depressed and being surrounded by enemies. And it's like, that just doesn't relate to me. Like, right. Okay, but, but can you think of anyone in your life whom this might be true of? I don't know. Well, just think about it. Well, I suppose, I mean, uh, mean, there's this person who's going through, you know, they've lost their job or they're dealing with a sickness and maybe they feel like enemies are pressing in from every side. Right, right. So when you pray that psalm, could you pray it over them? Well, I've never thought about that. Right. But when you begin to pray with compassion, it begins to turn you outward and to say, what about them? Pray these words, but maybe not over you, but maybe over them. John, earlier in the chapter, verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born from God. And whoever loves someone who is a parent loves the child born to the parent. Look, all John's saying is this. Look, if you love a person, when they have kids, very likely you love them. And actually, that's just another layer of that special friendship, that special relationship. Holly and I, we think about the, the dear friends that we have in our life, that we've had in our life since college, 15 plus years, you know. And we think about how we knew each other as 18, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, right? And now into our upper 30s, knocking on the door of 40, and all of us have our hands full of kids, you know, and we're like, how did this happen? Remember when we were young and hip? Now we're carrying diaper bags, you know. But we look at each other and we look at each other's kids and we think, that, that's so cool. I love this person and I love their kid. I love their daughter. I love their son. And you know what else? Even if you don't have kids, when you treat someone else's child with kindness, parents remember that. Parents take note of that. I remember before we had children, I, we, I, would, I worked with the college ministry at New Life and years later I would have parents come up and say, can I buy you lunch? just want to thank you. You were the worship leader for the college. You made such a difference in the life of, of our you know, son or our daughter. I'm thinking, I did? And they're like, yeah. Because every parent knows there's a certain point where your kids, they, they, they kind of listen to you, but they're not listening to you as the main voice in your, their life anymore. God forbid. Do not haste the day, Lord. But you rely on other people to love your kids for you and to care for them and to lead them. And so... When you are kind to someone else's child, parents notice that. Parents pay attention to that. And then you... So it's a, it's a deeper layer of your friendship where you say, man, I know your dad. Your dad was so great at this, this, this. And I know you. Look at you. You're just like your dad. That's so awesome. There's that layer. And then there's the layer of parents, as parents watching others be kind to our kids and saying, man, thank you for loving on our kids. Like, that, that is awesome. And I imagine our father in heaven looking down... <laughs> at each of us. And when we stop our squabbles and our bickering and our name-calling and our slandering, and we start to be kind, and we start to forgive, and we start to clothe the hungry and care for those who are in a bad way, our Father in Heaven looks down and says, "Thank, thank you for caring for my kids. Thank you for being kind to my children. John says, look, if you love... The parent, you love the child. Pray with compassion. Pray with that kind of tenderness. Pray with that in your heart. See, in the end, prayer is really the way that we rehearse the gospel. Prayer is really the way that we rehearse the gospel. When we know that we've been loved by God, we pray with confidence. When we know that this love flows out for us to one another, we pray with compassion. The horizontal, the vertical and the horizontal, the cross shaped life the life that you are, l- are living as a, an embodiment of the gospel see we could end this series and say so cool we did the series of one john and we talked about how we're the beloved and how we're supposed to love one another it was cool yeah great awesome what, but what now oh i don't know but that was really was a nice series what's next no 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 john says you want to live this out you want to put this into practice begin to pray Begin to pray. Prayer is how you rehearse, reenact, practice, engage in the gospel itself. Prayer is how you live out your belovedness. Because you are beloved, you pray. Because you have love for one another, you pray. Pray with confidence. Pray with compassion. We pray to rehearse the gospel. But there's one more thing. John says one more little paragraph before he wraps up. He says, little children flee from idolatry. Get away from the idols of this world. Why? Why is he saying this? Maybe it's because everybody's praying to something. Everybody's praying to something. The question is, are you praying to an idol? Or are you praying to the living, loving God? See, the same idols in John's day are the same idols in our day, right? Money, sex, and power. These same gods, they have had other names through the ages, other names in other cultures. But if you live your whole life and you say, you know what, the thing that's really going to give me peace is more money. The thing that's really going to give me joy is a better home. The thing that's going to... If you live that way, then you are, in effect, praying to an idol. And our Old Testament reading this morning says, the idols, they're made in somebody's basement. Gotta love the message translation. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Go ahead. Pray to that if you want. And when you live your life to say, oh, you know what? It's all about pleasure and sex and wherever I can find it, so don't tell me to stop doing this or that. You you're not the boss of my body, and I can do what I like because it's all fine, and I'm not hurting anybody anyway. You're praying to the idol of sex, and that idol cannot hear your prayer. So, you say, well, I... I don't know, I mean, John says, little children, (laughs) everybody's praying to something. Everybody's praying to somebody. But would you pray to the Father who's lavished his love on you? Would you pray to the God who sent Jesus to be the atonement for our sins? See, Jesus, John, in John's gospel, he tells us all of these things that Jesus says. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Peace not as the world gives, but my peace. And then in John's gospel, Jesus says, I've spoken these words to you that your joy may be full. And then Jesus in John's gospel says, But this is eternal life that you may know me and the one who sent me. Peace, joy, life. And then Jesus in John's gospel says, Greater love had no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Peace, joy, life, love. What are you praying for? The idols can't give it to you. Only Jesus can. Jesus is the God who sees. Jesus is the God who hears. Jesus is the one who speaks. God in Christ has come near to us so that we can pray with confidence and with compassion. Would you bow your heads this morning, church? As we pray, (laughs) would you allow the Holy Spirit to to show you where in, in almost subconscious ways, maybe in subtle ways, you've been directing a prayer to an idol, in a sense. And maybe the call today is to say, to oh, turn away from that. I don't want to treat God like an idol and something that I can use, like a Coke machine, or put in my quarter and get an answer, but neither do I want to make the things of this world, and I, what I want to do is live out the gospel in prayer, praying the scriptures, praying the psalms, praying for one another. Church, if this series doesn't lead us to prayer, then it's just all been... It's all been kind of just cute words, you know? But our Father in Heaven wants you to know how beloved you are so that you can come, draw near. Talk to Him. Talk to Him. Confidence in your relationship with Him. That's what John says. Some of you need that. some of you the spirit of God that's what he wants to do in your life bring you near in relationship with the father others of you he's saying hey hey I love talking to you about you let's take this up a different notch talk to me about my other kids talk to me about your brothers and sisters pray pray with compassion for one another